We can do whatever we want. Uh, okay, everybody ready? Oh, I guess. Yes, we'll take that as a yes. Jake Cherry, all you hosts, the hell with you. We're just going to start whenever me, the engineer, wants. Hey, everybody, I'm Kyle Rizal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. Kimberly is off on vacation. She is literally trekking through the Himalayas. I am jealous as all get out. Matt Levin, though. Uh, is here today, anyway, uh, to hold down the fort. Matt, uh, hello. Welcome back. It's good to have you on. Hey, Kai. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. You betcha. All right. So we took last week off, as as everybody knows. Uh, lots to catch up on. Uh, we're going to do the news. We're going to do a little smile. Uh, and then in 12 to 15 minutes, you can get on about your day. Uh, Mr. Levin, what do you got? What do you want to talk about? Um... I am a selfish reporter, so I want to do a follow-up to a story <laughs> I did last week, if that's okay. I didn't know Kimberly Absolutely. was in the Himalayas. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. She Literally, she's trekking. It's crazy. I saw she posted some Instagram uh, reel from um, Bhutan on her way. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. She continues to live the life that I want well, uh, to lead. Uh, of, of, of all market placers, I would say that she and Sabri Beneshore take the best vacations. I don't know if you yeah. follow Sabri on Insta, but holy cow. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, okay, getting back to me being a selfish reporter, on Thursday, yes. um, I did a story about robo-taxis. You remember this one, Kai? I do. Uh, so the news peg was whether the uh, California Public Utilities Commission uh, was going to approve robo-taxis to pretty much do mostly whatever they wanted to in the streets of San Francisco. So uh, ferry people from one location to another uh, and charge a fare for doing so 24 hours a day. Um, the decision came after the show aired, uh, and the decision was, yes, the California Public Utilities Commission said, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. Waymo and Cruise, which are the two big robo-taxi companies that have pilot programs in San Francisco, you can now kind of compete with Uber and Lyft as you see fit. Um, Cruise is owned by General Motors, uh, Waymo is owned by Google. So there's just a couple of things I want to hit here and maybe get your mm -hmm. reaction to that mm -hmm. didn't make it into the story. Uh, one was I was watching public comment on this decision, yeah. which if you're, you know, if you don't have like a streaming show that, you know, Succession's ended or whatever, and you're looking <laughs> for something else, I would highly recommend public comment for any mm. California state or local oh, agency. Man. It's, it's oh, highly man, entertaining. Man. Um, but something interesting that did pop up in public comment was there were several trans activists and disabled activists who uh -huh. were uh, expressing their support for robo-taxis, basically saying they've been in situations where Uber and Lyft drivers, once they see them, they literally just drive on by, right? Or really? they felt other oh, sources man. of discrimination from Uber and Lyft drivers, um, you know, akin to, you know, what uh, uh, black cab riders have yeah, been facing yeah, in, for sure. you know, across for the sure. country for forever, right? Uh, yeah. So I thought that was super interesting as a, you know, one of the arguments for this service. The other part, which I'm interested in, in your thoughts, yeah. I was looking at this in a different way than I, than I think I used to because of generative artificial intelligence because of chat GPT um, and because it is likely a threat to a lot of white collar work. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I am looking at this type of automation kind of in a different way than if ChatGPT never appeared on the scene. And I'm very curious whether there will be some writers who say, you know what? Enough with the robots. I'm going to ride with a human. I. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You think so, so I think you are right. Yep. I think there will be a backlash against all this technology. Absolutely for sure. I think that you're seeing it already with ChatGTP and and the yep. large language models and and people just sort of not opting out but choosing to uh, at their own risk, right? Because this stuff is coming, uh, whether they're ready or not. They're closing their eyes, they're putting their fingers in their ears, and they're going la 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 la. And look, yep. there will absolutely be people. My mother, as just one example, who will not get into a taxi cab or a bus eventually, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Unless there's a human behind the wheel, right? And and you totally understand that because it's weird and it's new. But in some short number of years. I, I I don't want to put a time frame on it because this stuff moves both slower and faster than you think it will. Mm-hmm. Um, in sh- some number of years, there will be city buses out there with no drivers, and that's the way you have to get around. If my mom wants to go to the grocery store up in Portland, she's going to have to get on a driverless bus, and 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 that's just the way it's going to be. But it's I I think um, convincing people that it's okay and safe and and technology will not kill them, mostly. Uh, is going to be a long haul, truly. I I was talking less about the safety element and more a, I feel like there is a rising just kind of anti-robot sentiment. I can't believe the words that are coming out of my mouth, by the way. This is all (laughs) still incredibly surreal. But does that make sense? As in now the threat of automation has moved to more white-collar jobs and perhaps some white-collar workers are more sympathetic to the Uber driver or the Lyft Mm -hmm. driver that Mm -hmm. might eventually, or the bus driver that might eventually get replaced. Right, right. And and as those concerns move up the income ladder, right, then then people in positions of authority and power start paying attention to them and then it gets more traction. Yeah, that could totally be, could totally be, for sure. For Um, freaking sure. All right, that's all I kind of wanted to hit. Okay, What What do you got? I've got two, and I will say, actually, just because we were off last week, I have a whole rant about um, college sports and football and the conference realignment that I'm not going to go on to because I'm late oh, to the party. It's so but sad. Man, man, that pisses me off. But anyway. Yeah, me too. Uh, so I've got two things, two things that are sort of more on the news. Number one, Argentina, the presidential primary. Holy cow. So the Argentinians, which have been suffering with inflation at 100-plus percent for a good long while now, you know, we were down there, my family was, last summer, and it was uh, 200-ish pesos uh, to the dollar. Now it's like 600 or 700 pesos to the dollar. It's really terrible. Anyway, huge, huge upset in the presidential primary out there. There's a mm-hmm. congressman named Javier Millet who won the primary, and more importantly, is number one, uh, very aligned with Donald Trump in his views on things. Number two, thinks the Argentinian Central Bank ought to be, and this is a paraphrase if not a direct quote, burned down. Wants to put the American dollar as the currency down there, which is going to be tricky because the Argentine government is actually out of American dollars. They don't have any. Uh, and he also wants to do things like allowing um, human organs to be sold on the open market. So it's going to be interesting in Argentina uh, when the presidential actual election comes around and, and we see what happens because holy cow, things are taking a turn. Holy cow, yeah. things are taking a turn. It's yeah. also interesting so, how inflation is playing out in domestic politics oh, across the globe. It's yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And look, a, a lesser version of it, a much, much lesser version of it is happening here, <laughs> you know? Yep, I mean, it's, right. it's, 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 it's real, even though, you know, they're getting to where they want to be, the Fed is. Which actually, thank you for the segue, gets me to my second point, which is a quick little blip from um, Bloomberg again. Uh, the headline is Goldman, as in Goldman Sachs, pencils in first Fed rate cut for the second quarter of 2024. So second quarter, April, May, and June of next year. Uh, that's assuming, you know, one more rate hike this year. They meet again in September this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, they're going to start cutting, Goldman Sachs says, in uh, uh, April, May, and June of next year. I would just like to take the under on that one because, uh, as Rafael Bostic said on Marketplace, and as I have name-dropped a number of times on the air, and I think also on this podcast, Bostic says, we are now at the hard part, right? Inflation's at 3%. We want to get to 2 and the unemployment rate is still at three and a half percent, but now comes the hard part because now is when the pain is going to start. And people are going to say, you cannot keep raising rates or you can't keep rates where they are with uh, uh, inflation where it is. So we shall see what happens. But I'm going to take the under on Goldman, not to you know impugn any of those folks who work there and are making those those uh, predictions, forecasts. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Just, just to be clear, the under is in. You think the, the Fed rate cup will come after what I Goldman should be clear. Yes. Later yes. on. It, I, it will come later on in 2024. I would say gotcha. toward the end. I just think, I think honestly, the Fed has sort of been so data dependent. They have been so emphatic in, in saying, we're going to wait to see what the data says, that it's going to be very tough for them to climb down from that until inflation actually gets to 2%. And by climb down from that, that means lowering interest rates. So I think it's going to be longer than Goldman thinks it's going to be. I, I have a question I've been dying to ask you, Kai. Are, What's that? You ready for this? Yeah. Do you think the Fed has been more lucky or good here? Oh, Start, man. Starting, so, starting with inflation rising in 2021. Right. So so the Fed blew it early on, and Jay Powell will tell you that. Yeah. Last time I interviewed him, I, I actually said, did you blow it in saying it's all going to be transitory? Transitory, rather. Uh, and he, without saying yes said yes. He said it would have been better if we hadn't said it was going to be transitory. That said, they have now somewhat skillfully negotiated really high inflation, brought it down to two-thirds of where it was a year ago, right, with four 75 basis point increases in a row in the middle of of the last 12 months. And now I think the challenge is, uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to let inflation keep coming down? Here, so here's a great statistic. In the last 90 days, over the last three months, inflation is running at 1.9%, which is below where the Fed wants it to be. So they blew it in the beginning. They did what they had to do in the middle. And now the question is, what are they going to do? And if they keep raising more than one more time this year, I think you're going to see a lot of people start yelling and screaming about the labor market, rightly so, because you know if you keep it too tight and the economy slows down, People are going to lose their jobs. But right now, the Fed looks to have, and and look, do not quote me on this. I'm not an economist. I just play one on the radio. But for now, the Fed looks to have negotiated the beginnings of a soft landing, for which they deserve some credit. I I think if you like true serum J-PAL, I don't think there was a world where they thought they could get inflation this low with the labor market still oh, no. being this oh, no. great for sure no yeah. no so way I, no way yeah absolutely absolutely i i i do think a 
decent amount of this is just things just kind of worked out well. It's pretty incredible like, when you think about it. Yeah, and, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, all right, Jake, hit that sting, and uh, we shall move on. Hmm. All right, I like yours. Go ahead. It's a cool story. Um, okay. Uh, you've probably seen at this point some of the visuals that are coming out of Maui and the horrific wildfires mm. that ravaged it. It's it's horrific. I don't know what other word to, to use. Um uh, but what what's actually a little striking is I remember when we first saw some of the um, helicopter images or drone images, whatever they were, or whatever they were over Lahaina, which is where the um, brunt of the damage took place. Uh, there was like a a little green ball, and I was I remember seeing yeah. it and being like, "What what's that?" Amid just like absolute you know burned out shells of buildings and cars and all the rest. Um, and it turns out that green ball is a 150-year-old banyan tree um, that has some historical and cultural relevance uh, for the history of Maui. It's 60 feet tall. It's also insanely wide. It's a quarter of a mile wide, which is – or yeah. a quarter of a mile in circumference, excuse me. Um, kind of a, a centerpiece, I believe, by where uh, – close to where City Hall was. Um, people – we're fearing that that tree was dead. The tree is not dead. The governor of Hawaii said today that the tree is still alive um, and they have arborists that are working to kind of resuscitate it. Um, obviously, you know, this this pales in comparison to the sheer human damage that has happened, uh, but still something of a silver lining, right? Just a little glimmer yep. of hope um, that's kind of symbolized by this tree. So that's my make me smile. I, I think that's totally legit. And that tree is uh, uh, images of it. I mean, I haven't actually seen it in real life, but it's an incredible yeah. thing. If that somehow survives, we will, we will take that as a, as a win in this very, very, very grim story. Uh, mine is yep. somewhat related in, in that it's uh, about climate change, which uh, I think, um, you know, everybody will acknowledge uh, is at the root of what's going on in Maui and, and so many other natural disasters uh, and 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 temperatures and all that stuff this summer. Um, a judge in Montana has ruled in favor of a bunch of uh, young environmental activists who sued uh, the government of the state of Montana uh, in saying that you are depriving us of our right to a clean and healthful environment. And a judge today said, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. The government is doing the wrong thing. Climate change is real and government, you have to fix it. I mean, obviously this will be appealed and, and all sorts of other things will happen, but this is a very big deal that uh, a judge now has yeah. uh, basically said, you know what? You got to fix it. You got to fix it. So yeah. 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 It's good. In, news. Uh, it's good news. in Montana of all places. I know, I know, right? Well, so here's the thing about Montana, and I know this just because I've done some work up there, right? They're in, not their entire economy, but a huge part of their economy is extractive, right? Yeah. They've got precious metals, they've got uh, fossil fuels in the ground. And so it's kind of interesting that these kids are like, no, 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 you got to take care of us, you got to take care of the planet. So there you go. Yeah, also one of the most beautiful places in the, in oh, the it's country, gorgeous. too. 
Yeah. It, it is it is uh, it is fabulous up there. The big sky thing is real. Uh, okay, so we are done for today. Tomorrow, uh, nothing from us, uh, that is to say myself and Matt or uh, whoever else is going to be subbing in for the next couple of weeks while Kimberly is off trekking the Himalayas. We are going to do uh, a story from Marketplace Tech. We're going to put a special from them in the uh, feed. It's about AI and how it might transform the workplace. We've been talking so much about it just on this pod today, but also uh, on our various <laughs> programs. Um, and look, the deal is that the future might already be here. So Marketplace Tech is going to talk about that. Uh, give a listen. Let us know what you think. 508-UB-SMART is how you get us on the phone. Make me smart at marketplace.org is how you get us otherwise. Uh, and we will be back in your feed regular-wise uh, on Wednesday. There it is. There's my cue. Yeah, buddy. All right. Uh, yeah, buddy. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's program was engineered by Jake Cherry. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Nilafar Shabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on demand. I will die on that hill. <laughs> <sighs> there we go. You, Thanks, Matt. You, yeah. Thanks, guy. You bet. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.